Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Bree, and I am so excited for the author that is joining me today. I have been a fan of her books since the very beginning. Author Carrie Winfrey is on with me today. Thank you so much for being here, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Let's start off with like, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, I live in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I set all of my books in Ohio, so it's probably pretty clear that I live here if you've read anything I've written. Um, I am married to my husband, Hollis. We met in college. Um, I have one son who's seven years old, and I have two dogs. And other than that, like I am a pretty boring person, honestly. <laughs> like I write, and I read, and I bake a lot. I cook a lot. And I'm learning how to knit. Like I love learning crafty hobbies. But other than that, like I am, I'm basically like an elderly woman in all of my interests. How is that going? Because I, I've wanted to learn either to knit. Like I used to have an, an aunt that crocheted when she was alive. And all of us are now kicking ourselves. Like, why didn't we ask her to teach us? But we were like little, little. And yeah. now it's just like you want to have something to do. And I, I think I'm intimidated. Like I'm 36. Could I really learn to do this now? Well, yes, because I'm 37 and I just took a knitting class. Um, okay. I actually took a class in person because I, I knew how to crochet from when I was younger, but knitting was very hard for me to learn. I kept trying to learn on my own and I really, I could not do it, but I took a class and that was kind of like, the thing that helped me out, having someone there to to fix all my mistakes. So yeah, I think you can do it. I'm going to encourage you. If Thank I can you. do it at 37, <laughs> you can do it at 36. Because <laughs> I just feel like that would be like perfect activity to, activity to do while listening to an audiobook. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's why I wanted to learn. I want something to do while watching a movie or listening to an audiobook. Definitely. Well, let's do some like rapid fire icebreaker. So whatever comes to mind first, just go with that. <laughs> If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Oh, caution may start crying. Oh gosh, same. Okay, are you like an easy <laughs> crier? I cry. Oh, I love crying. Um, like if I have, have a book or a movie that will make me cry, like I'm so happy. I cry at commercials, like just thinking same. about emotion. Yeah. <laughs> I love it though. Like, it's nice to have an emotional outlet. Yeah, like I will be in the car and I I think even like I like stories that I might make up in my mind can make me cry. And I'm like, what does this say about me? But I'm also just like, you know what? It's okay. I think to be a crier. I think so too. <laughs> um, who would you say is one of your most read authors? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I'm going to say, I'm trying to figure out if I should go from like childhood or adulthood. I would say in adulthood, I'm going to be really basic and say Emily Henry. Like I always read oh. the new Emily Henry when it comes out, but I, I know like so does everybody, but that's my honest answer. I think that's okay. I mean, yeah, yeah that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us, okay, thinking of childhood, what mm -hmm. was your like childhood reading aesthetic? Like what were you into? Oh gosh. Well, like I would read anything that I could get my hands on, but like the thing I started with was American girl books. I was oh, a Molly yeah. girl. I loved them yeah. all, but Molly was my favorite. Um, I oh, love nice. learning about history. Um, yeah, those are my faves. I always wonder like girls now at that age, like what, I mean, 
I mean, I feel like now we actually have middle grade. I don't really know. I feel like mm-hmm. when we were kids, it wasn't like middle grade. It wasn't YA. You just went to the, like the kids section of the yeah. book, of the bookstore. But I'm like, yeah. what's coming out for them that's like that now? Everything is like hardcover. And yeah. it's just like, are they missing out on the joys of like little paperback novels? <laughs> I know. I wonder that too, because like I have a seven-year-old boy and um like he is really into Captain Underpants, which is such a different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, like so out of touch with like what is today's American girl book? I don't know. So tell me your like your romance origin story. How did you get into romance reading and how did the writing happen? Okay. Oh, this is fun. So I when I was little, like I said, I would read anything. And my mom was a romance reader and I would always steal her romance novels when she wasn't looking, although I'm sure she knew I was doing it and read those, like whatever she had around. I don't even know, like I can't even remember any of the authors. I know she had a lot of Nora Roberts, but other than that, I don't even know what books they were. And I always really gravitated toward love stories. Um, When I got older, like I would read the classics like Pride and Prejudice, but I was also really into the Princess Diaries books by Meg Cabot. Those were like that love story between Mia and Michael was definitely like my my romance origin story because I loved mm. reading that. I loved how funny she was and how it was so romantic. And then I went to college for creative writing and I kind of focused on more literary writing just because that's what we did there. What you and do I in also, college. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's, I mean, I also like reading that. Um, but everything I wrote was more focused on being funny. Um, and eventually, like it took me a lot of years after college to kind of realize where my voice was steering me and that it was steering me towards yeah. writing something that was more commercial. And I'd always liked reading romance, but I would say the time I got like really into it was when my son was born because he did not sleep unless I was holding him. So I was up all night, every night. And like, there was nothing I could do. I was just holding a baby. And I couldn't read anything that was too upsetting because it was like I was sleep deprived and going crazy. So I started reading a ton of romance novels. And then eventually I was kind of like, why don't I direct my writing in this area? (laughs) Because I'd been writing YA up until then. Um, And that was when I decided to kind of write my own adult romance. We have to go back to waiting for Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. That book took, I feel like it took the romance world by storm. Everybody was going crazy. <laughs> I remember loving the cover. I remember chatting with girlfriends about it. Um, did you, ex- how, do, when you look back on at that time, like how does it feel looking back on like that moment in romance reader world? And like, I, mm. I just, it was something really special. And I think for, for for girls like me that love rom-coms and and just it was something it was doing something really special but for you looking back on it now like there's some some di- time distance you know between when it came out and now how does it feel looking back on it oh it was such an exciting time I mean that before that I'd written two young adult novels so this was my first adult book and it was kind of just serendipitously it was really good timing when I wrote it because um that whole trade paperback rom-com boom had kind of just started like Jasmine Guillory's first book had just come out. And so we were really just getting into that illustrated cover thing, which is just really the vibe of waiting for Tom Hanks. Like it is not, it is not a sexy romance novel. It is like a nineties rom-com movie. Yeah. So the fact that this trend was kind of happening as soon as 
I had the book out on submission, it just worked out really well in my favor. And it was just such a fun book to write and a fun book to talk about because everyone loves talking about romantic comedies. So that whole experience of publishing that book was just a really exciting and super fun time. When going a little bit like even further back, had you had this been like a concept you had been stewing on? Like what was the journey like to becoming published mm-hmm. with Berkeley and putting out these like these romantic comedies? Yeah. Well, like I said, up until then I'd written two young adult novels and I was mm-hmm. kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And I had this newborn baby. So I was just kind of sitting around thinking about writing a lot more than I was actually writing. And um I had the idea for the title for Waiting for Tom Hanks first because I had watched, I had done this project the year before where I'd watched, it was called A Year of Rom-Coms and I'd watched okay. a romantic every week for a year. And it was like, back then I had it on a Tumblr and that was super fun. So I'd been thinking about rom-coms pretty much nonstop for a year and thinking about the tropes and like the things that showed up over and over again. And I started thinking like, what if there was a woman who was obsessed with romantic comedies the way that I am, but in a way that's ruining her life. And that's how the title Waiting for Tom Hanks came into my head because he is, you know, the hero in several rom-coms and kind of like the ideal man in those movies. And, you know, what if somebody was just like waiting around and keeping their life on hold, waiting for someone like Tom Hanks to show up? And I knew right away that it had to be an adult book and not a young adult book because teenagers do not care about Tom Hanks. Like, <laughs> sadly, sadly enough, like once I did a, a book festival, like after that book had been announced and we were talking about it and literally none of the kids there knew who he was. So I was like, yeah, it can't be a young adult book. Um, and Berkeley was always kind of my dream publisher just because, you yeah. know, Jasmine Gillery's book had just come out and I loved what they did with that. And so when Berkeley wanted my book and um, it was just like so exciting, it really felt like it all worked out perfectly. Okay. You have to tell me more about this rom-com project. So how did the yeah. idea come about? And like, what did you learn about yourself as you're doing it? <laughs> like, did you, yeah, at yeah. the end of it, did you come out with like a definitive favorite or is that too hard to answer? Oh no. Okay. So I started that project because like, I love to give myself homework And at the time I was writing my young adult books and writing a book is kind of a lonely process. It's just, Mm -hmm. just you and your computer and you're not getting feedback. And I used to be a blogger and I'd write about books for websites. So I was kind of craving that like immediate publication, talking to people. So I thought I would start this. um, And I'd always loved rom-coms. So it was not like, it was not an arduous undertaking. I knew it would be fun. Um, So with each week I would like write about the movie and whether or not I liked it or not, and then also make a list of all the tropes that had showed up in that movie, which was really fun and funny to see like what tropes would show up over and over again. And whether or not the movie was like romantic, like did it make me believe in love? And would I ever watch it again? And I would say over the course of the year, I definitely had some favorites. It showed me how much better Nora Ephron's movies are than a lot of other rom-coms. Yeah. Kind of depressing. (laughs) You know, she is no longer with us and not making movies anymore. So that was kind of a bummer because hers are like head and shoulders above everything else. But yeah, it also kind of showed me that I enjoy watching even a even a not very good rom-com. Um, I kind of like them all the time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like because I watch a lot of made for TV movies uh-huh. and sometimes I feel like <laughs> I hate I hate to say this, but like the sometimes the more like 
cheaper looking made ones are so charming. (laughs) Yeah, I know sometimes. And that's something else I found out in the project is sometimes things like budgets don't matter as much as whether or not everyone working on the movie really believes in it. Yes. You can, if the people making the movie don't really care and they aren't putting their all into making a good rom-com. Whereas if people, people making it believe in it and there's chemistry between the actors that can kind of overcome everything. What did you think? What do you think that like Nora Ephron did that just set her apart from everybody else? Well, two things. One is that she was actually very funny. Like a lot of times you'll watch a rom-com or read a rom-com and there's not a lot of comedy in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, her books have such good dialogue and her movies have such good dialogue and they're so funny. But also, I think the main thing she did that sets her apart is she understood that romantic comedies can and should have some sadness in them. Um, yeah. They are not just light and fluffy. Like they have that happily ever after, but it means so much more because you know the characters have actually been through something like and you've got mail like something actually bad happens which is tom hanks closes meg ryan's bookstore like that's an actually bad thing and she's sad because she lost her mother when she was younger and none of those problems are fixed by the end so it feels a little bit more realistic and that happy ending of them being together feels a little bit more hard won so it feels more satisfying yeah like within um in sleepless in seattle his wife has passed away right so Mm -hmm. it's just i don't know it's like this beautiful story of grief and by the time they get together and you're in the end you're Mm -hmm. like and that scene where like he talks about how his wife could cut an apple in one slice (laughs) and then meg ryan does the same thing it's like oh it's just so it's so deserving in the end it's like it's so sad but it's yep. also so funny at the same time. I think you're you're totally right. Tell us your okay. We're we're here to talk faking Christmas, which mm-hmm. I was recently listening. I I feel like okay. I feel like I hear a lot of either fellow podcasters, bloggers. They struggle with the idea of like books being marketed as romantic comedies. But then you read something like Faking Christmas and I died laughing. Like I teach sixth grade and we do independent reading every morning at at the beginning of every class. Like I teach English and like Mm -hmm. my students are like, what is she back there laughing at? (laughs) Um, That's the highest compliment. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, and like I give them little writing prompts after they read and I'm like, I want you to come up with a question. And I, I always give them example. And I'm like, in my story, Laurel hates this guy, Gilbert, who I know she's going to fall in love with. I was like, she overheard something and I need to know what she overheard. And they're like, (laughs) oh, okay. That's what she means by like, and so I was able to like use it as an example, but I love that. (laughs) Give us like, okay. Give us your pitch. Like what is the book about for anyone who hasn't read it yet? Okay. So faking Christmas is kind of based on inspired by the 1945 movie Christmas in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is about a woman named Laurel who kind of not on purpose lies during her job interview, but lets her new boss at the magazine slash website she works for think that she owns a farm which sounds a little bit unbelievable, but the book itself is a little bit unbelievable. It's a little bit over the top. Um, and everything is going good until Max. her boss. I, I said yeah. Gilbert and Gilbert's the boss. Max oh. is the love interest. Oh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Keep going, <sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so everything's going good until Gilbert, his wife, leaves him right before Christmas and he invites himself over to Laurel's farm. The problem is that she does not have a farm. She lives in the city and she doesn't know how to cook. She doesn't know how to do anything. She's made him think she knows how to do. Her twin sister, Holly, is the one who knows how to do all that stuff. So she and Holly come up with a plan where Laurel will pretend to have Holly's farm and her children and her goats and Gilbert will come over and no one will be the wiser. But when Laurel gets to Holly's house, Holly is like, well, you have to pretend to be married to my husband's best friend, Max, who is already Laurel's nemesis because she overheard him saying something at Holly's wedding. And also she just doesn't like him. And as the you know weekend goes on, she comes up with more reasons not to like him, like that he does not enjoy Christmas and makes fun of everything that she likes. But they get snowed in together. And of course, it is a romance. So she does start to realize that maybe there's more to Max than she thought initially. So I watched Christmas in Connecticut for the first time a couple of years ago, and it is hilarious. And so I love hearing you say that it's like loosely inspired by that, because when I first like within the first couple chapters, I was like, is this inspired by Christmas in Connecticut? I think it's yeah. so brilliant. Like this girl has been. Like charading her life, basically. And then she finds herself in a situation where it's like, oh, now I need this to be real. So like, mm -hmm. had you like, because I know you now it makes sense you did this whole rom-com project. When did the seeds for this story kind of get planted for you? Well, I guess I watched Christmas in Connecticut maybe like four or five years ago for the first time. And I loved it so much. And I was making my husband watch it with me again. And afterwards, I was talking to him about it. And I said, I don't know why someone hasn't made a version of this with social media. Like That yeah. feels like it would be such an easy topic and so realistic because so many people lie on social media anyway. And we know that. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a second. I'm a writer. I could write. <laughs> That's my job. Um, and, you know, obviously you've read the book and you've seen the movie. So, you know, a lot of things are not similar to the movie. No, but I think it's so brilliant because when I watched it, I thought the same thing. I, I, I think mm -hmm. of I think of that as like, as like Sleepless in Seattle, too. I mean, if you're ever mm -hmm. bored with writing, I always wonder, like, how would this work <laughs> in today's world? And with Christmas in Connecticut, it's like. I feel like that movie is so ahead of its time in a way. I think it was just like bread to be redone because now we do have Instagram and TikTok and blogs and all of the things. I just think it's so brilliant that you did that. It was it was so fun. <laughs> it was really fun to do because yeah. it is such a good idea. And then like, you know, obviously I didn't want to just rewrite the movie. Um, so it was fun to think of ways that I could make it different yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I love that. One of my favorite quotes and I'm paraphrasing is early on in the book. Okay. We learn pretty quickly that Laurel, she says something about basically like in your twenties, it's okay to be a hot mess, but in your thirties, people start to worry about you. <laughs> so like how did, um, like writing Laurel, can you talk about writing her? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically when I was coming up with her character, I knew I needed her to be the opposite of someone who would like own a farm and have children and have goats and know how to bake a pie. So it was really fun to think of someone who doesn't necessarily have their life together and think of like what could happen to make her hit rock bottom so that she would let this lie go uncorrected during a job interview. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, most people right away would be like, no, I don't actually own a farm. That's my sister. I just manage the social media. But it was fun to think of what could happen to Laurel that would make her be like, no, I have to go along with this because I need this job more so 
for her sense of herself as a person who's got it together even than like getting the job. Yeah. But she was very fun to write. Like I like writing people who are a little bit messy just because it can often be so funny. And honestly, like all of us are a little bit messy in real life anyway. Yeah. I mean, and it was like, there was a real moment too in the like interview scene when she's kind of recapping it. I think Gilbert, like it's, I think it's like the health insurance. And I was like, if she lives in America, that's definitely something all of us may do a little white lie to make sure that we get the job for. <laughs> Cause it's, uh-huh, totally. it's really important. Yeah. So, um, okay. With Max, the scene that he won me over, and okay, I just feel like this is the moment where things switched, and I don't know if this was deliberate or what on your part, but they're at the dinner table, and Gilbert asks the quintessential, how did you guys meet story, and at this point, we're full-on fake marriage, all of that, which I love that trope so much and max tells this story he's like do you want me to tell it honey and she's like sure because she has no idea she didn't think that far and you can just tell like i'm like following along with the audiobook listening to him and um you could just tell like it was not fake for him but laurel doesn't get it so like talk about writing max because he's so understood by misunderstood by laurel (laughs) Yeah, like I feel like Max was hard because it is a hard, tricky balance to have when you have enemies to lovers because you need that person, like you need to understand why they don't like each other, but they can't be so terrible that the reader is not going to be on board when they fall in love. And I feel like one of the things that makes it so much easier is if the guy has secretly been in love with her the whole time. So it's it's like making so Max like always loved her. You're like, okay, well, he's not actually a bad person. He is just having a very hard time showing how he feels. And now he's getting better at it. But back then at the wedding, he was not. Um, But that was fun. And it was a challenge. Like we had, my editor had to help me a lot, like go back and be like, here, let's add a scene where he's like interacting with their family. Let's add a scene where he's nice to them. Because I love writing like snappy enemies to lovers banter. But if there's too much of that, then it can kind of turn the reader off. So I don't know. It was it was a hard balance. Yeah, it's like it's never this. It's never like Laurel is mean. You know that she overheard something and that that has made her highly dislike Max. And it feels mutual for a little bit. But then you slowly like I feel like loosen the reins a little bit and you're quickly like, oh, no, he's like he's he you don't really know if he like likes her likes her at first but you're like he doesn't hate her like she is trying to hate him (laughs) but then when he does that scene I'm like oh he is in love because he even says it like it's basically his mission to like love her one day and I'm like oh my god Laurel (laughs) but she is just I think it's uh I think what is so brilliant about her is like she loves her sister and whatever he says has something to do with her sister and so I'm like, okay, I get that because I have a sister too. And I'd probably hate somebody if I overheard them say something bad about her. So you just really created like this juicy, steak-filled tension. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that came across for you because it was definitely hard to do. But yeah, like I wanted to show, like you said, that Laurel will do anything to defend her sister. And even she even feels a little bit disloyal when she starts to like Max because she's like, this guy is terrible. How can I like him? But yeah. that's kind of the tension of a romance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did you have a favorite um, scene that you wrote? Oh, I would say 
one of my favorites is when they have an almost kiss Mm -hmm. um, under the Christmas tree because that was like one of the most screwball comedy type scenes where like everything went wrong and that was super fun to write and like I've always loved scenes where people almost kiss in a rom-com those are always my favorites and like someone like bursts in and interrupts them um so that was really fun and I always I always loved including Gilbert in the scene to the point that I included him too much and we had to take him out of some scenes because my editor was like there's too much Gilbert he does not need to be around in every romantic scene and I was like, <laughs> Yes, you're probably right. But your heart is so broken for Gilbert. He's so heartbroken. It was fun to write someone who was like, like he was usually the comic relief. Like he also showed that Laurel was a good person, but he was usually just a comic relief and he was, he was fun to write. Writing Christmas. um, I think that, I think sometimes we get these books that you go into it hoping it's Christmassy and I mean obviously the focus is still on the romance but I love that for one it's set in Ohio I'm from the Midwest too I'm originally from Missouri so I'm like I know it gets cold we do get snow um Mm -hmm. but so like you know there's a blizzard involved which leads to Gilbert having to stay a little bit longer than planned um and then just like the oh my gosh the big Christmas cookie like playlist that she mentions for them to bake and then like Max would read um, stories to her niece and nephew. Like you found little subtle ways, I think, to remind us that it's Christmassy. How do you, how did you balance um, the Christmas with the romance? Well, when I decided I wanted to write a Christmas book, which I've never done before, I really just thought, well, I'm going to go all in. I want this book to be like a very Christmassy escape from real life where like everything is Christmassy. And it helped that I was setting it at Holly's farmhouse And she is like someone who's very good at decorating a home. So everything was like over the top decorated. And um, it was just really fun to write that stuff. Like I enjoy Christmas too. I'm a Christmas person. Um, It's fun. I have a kid. So you kind of have to be a Christmas person when you have a little kid. (laughs) But it was was fun to just like get into the spirit, even though it was weird because I was writing it in the summer. So that part was hard. I had to like light a Christmas candle and I would listen to a Christmas playlist, even though it was July. Oh my and gosh. Hot Christmas outside. in July, Carrie. Christmas in July. I was living Christmas in July and Christmas year round. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. Um, but yeah, like I just wanted to include as much like over the top Christmas stuff as possible because I, I love a Christmas movie and I wanted the book to have that feeling. Yeah. Oh gosh, it definitely did. Well, I loved it. Um, are you working on anything now that you're able to talk about? Um, I can't say too much yet, but what I'm working on will also be set in Ohio. Like, okay. So big <laughs> like other books. <laughs> Love it. No, my best friend's from Youngstown, Ohio. So even though I feel like I've only driven through Ohio, I have a lot of Ohio love. <laughs> that's good I love it <laughs> so like what is your romance reading an era like I know you you'll read whatever Emily Henry every new release mm-hmm. she puts out but like your romance reading era right now what is what is it oh that's good um you know I would say I just did an event with Tessa Bailey last week so mm-hmm. I'm kind of like in my Tessa Bailey era right now oh. Love that. Like, I already love her, but like just seeing her at the event and she was so funny and so smart. And now I'm like, I want to read everything she's written. So like I bought some of her books at the event and I went and checked a bunch out at the library. So <laughs> that's a good era to be in. That's yeah. a good era. Um, 
in defense of the romantic comedy on page, like why would you say these books matter? Mm, oh, that's a good question. I would say, I mean, for the, the same reason all romance matters, whether it's a book or a movie, it is so nice, especially right now, to have something with a guaranteed happily ever after and something that you know will make you laugh. Um, life is obviously really hard for a lot of people. And I've spoken to a lot of readers who say they read my book for an escape. And that means a lot to me because I would, with this book especially, I wanted to write something that was not upsetting at all because I do read a lot of books that make me cry. We've talked about how much I love crying, but it is so nice to be able to read something where you know everything is going to work out and things aren't going to get too heavy. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for chatting with me today. Can you share with everyone where we can keep up with you online? Yes, um, the best place is probably on Instagram, which is just my name, Carrie Winfrey. You have a very fun Instagram. I, I second oh. that. Everybody go follow Carrie on Instagram. <laughs> and you can see the picture of her and Tessa Bailey. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs>